0: Hi everyone, my name is Laura and I'm doing the Bible reading tonight. It's from Luke chapter 11. It's just a short and sweet one, verse 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Thanks, Laura. Good evening, everyone. Before I get started, I reckon we could give it up for Laura and Bo Lydon, who are like probably some of our newest mum and Dadda team you have seen both of them on the platform tonight. If you don't know Bo, he's, he's playing guitar tonight and Laura just read for us. And I just think, here's my, here's my soapbox moment, but it's a biblical soapbox. It's just super cool to see a growing family set an immediate trajectory of life invested in ministry and church. I just think that is the coolest thing in the world and I think we can do like even better to celebrate that investment. So let's do that. Another cool thing that you get sometimes is questions, and this is and sometimes the best questions don't come from brand new kind of young, beautiful people like the Liddens. Sometimes you gotta to go to someone with a few more miles on the clock, who's a little bit more mature, wise, and well old. Ian Barnett's mature, wise, and old. And this week, he he knows he's like the Grandparent Conference guy. He loves it. He loves it. Ian asked me a beautiful, simple question. ...about this passage. Because in this passage, the disciples of Jesus ask him to teach them to pray. And Ian's question was, what do you think they were wrestling with? What was the issue? He asked it even simpler than that. It was one question, but it got my mind thinking about these particular people... ...and what was going on for them when they asked this question about prayer. I did a good thing. I went and I read the passage again... And I realised that the guys who are asking Jesus to pray are 12 Jewish men. Here's what I don't want us to think. Here's a caricature for you. This is not the Gospel of Luke that tells us about Jesus, the missionary who went into deepest, darkest Africa, found some natives who were doing native stuff, taught them how to be white, because that's what you do in those days, And they said, oh teacher, what is this prayer thing you speak of? We've never heard of it. Because that's how they speak in my fictional native area. This is Jesus speaking to 12 Jewish men. Twelve young Jewish men who would have been bar mitzvahed, that is, they've become sons of the commandment. They've been through a whole thing where they memorise more of the Bible than I suspect any of us ever will and recite it. They've been to synagogue. In fact, they've been on tour with Jesus. When we come to chapter 11, we're in a part of Luke called the travel narrative. We're heading towards Jerusalem. We've already confessed Jesus as the Christ. It's all systems go. These guys have been on the road for Jesus. They're not first year apprentice anymore. They've been hanging with him for a while. They're Jewish men. They come from a culture that knows prayer like Aussies know the beach. Okay, They have a prayer book. They have all the resources in the world, but they say, teach us to pray. So, to answer Ian's question, what's going on for these 12 Jewish men who have been studying at Jesus Moore College. Um, There's a little plug for you, Moore College, if you're listening. At, At Jesus Bible College for at least a year now. That have diplomas. yay. what's the question? They say, "Can you teach us to pray?" As John taught his disciples. Twice in these two ver- in this one verse, the word disciple comes up. A disciple is one who comes after, comes behind, and is patterned on their leader. And they understand that John came as this prophet, and John brought new revelation of God. And as John taught, people were baptised, Jesus was one of them, and they would pray. Jesus does. You can read about it in Luke 3. John, in light of his revelation of God, taught people how to respond to God in prayer. So these disciples of Jesus are saying, well, we saw John bring a bigger picture of God and showed people how to respond. Now you, Messiah, who have come after John, who are bringing the full revelation of God, how should we respond? What should shape our prayers? Teach us the pattern. They weren't saying, hey, uh, what's that thing? Should we kneel? Should we lay face down? Should we fold our hands? What is this thing called prayer you speak of? I were saying, no, no, no. Give us a pattern, give us a posture, give us an understanding of how we respond to our God. And of course Jesus said these words which we've had read for us tonight and words that we've adapted and filled out to pray as the Lord's Prayer and they've become famous. But my prayer for us tonight is that these words would become famous not just for liturgy, that is a set text of words that we learn and direct us, Beyond famous for liturgy, I would love dearly that they become powerful for lifestyle. That the content of these words may shape the posture of our prayer in such a way that we indeed as disciples of Jesus are responding to him in the most full and wonderful and intimate of ways. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. So if you're about to switch off, just get this bit, but then I'm going to have to explain it, so I'd stay with me. Prayer is an expression of... Of redeemed humanity. That's what we're dealing with. What does that mean? Well, prayer is the thing that redeemed humans do. What are redeemed humans? Well, if you go to the very start of the Bible, Genesis, chapters 1 to 3 are just so important. Because in those first chapters, we get a thing called humanity. And humanity is created and ordered in the way that God plans. And it's wonderful, it's very good. Of course, Genesis 3, you don't get far into the Bible before it all gets messed up, distorted, and the pattern is broken. What Jesus does is he comes and he brings a broken pattern back into alignment. That's redemption. He buys it back. And so for those of us who are brought back to God, present expression of that. It's not something you've got to do. It's a thing you get to do. And it's really cool. As this idea of prayer being this expression of redeemed humanity in Genesis was in my head, and as I continued to read Luke 11, I could not help but hear the echoes of Genesis and what we learn of our own humanity come out in the Lord's Prayer. And so as I walk you through tonight the Lord's Prayer, I want to show you a couple of things with those echoes loud behind us that might just help to shape the posture or the pattern of prayer that we have. So let's get started. Firstly, when I think about prayer in reflection of Luke 11, I think of prayer as what I'm going to call an intimate walk. Look at these words and get ready for me to have a brain explosion with you and I hope you come for the journey. In Genesis 3, just before a very confronting part of the Bible happens where God and a guilty humanity come before him, this is what we read, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You're like, yeah, and? Well, just take a moment, think about what's going on here, because it blows my brain hole. Right? Here is God, who in the opening chapter of Scripture, Genesis 1, is described as the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. Now, that makes sense to me. Because here is God who is separate, who is bigger than his creation, who is outside of his creation, who hovers over all things, who is spirits, who is bigger and better. Like me, when I play chess, I'm just bigger than the chessboard. And the hand of Shane hovered over the whole board. I know, crazy, but works. Works for me. Hopefully, it works for you. But here by Genesis 3, look how this poetic document describes God. God was walking. How? He doesn't have any legs. Not till Jesus. But he's happy to be described in this way. He's walking, he's condescended, he's come down, he's in this picture. He walks in the garden in the cool of the day and you think, oh, God must have been there, like Miles Elton at Ignite, putting on all his sunscreen because he's worried about his beautiful skin getting burnt, got his sun hat on and he's rashy and all that stuff. Or oh, Shane Dirk's of African descent just wanders out, ah, he can't get me skin cancer. Not true, he can Um you imagine, there's God slip-slop slapping because he's worried that the sun might burn his delicate skin. The God who spoke the sun into being does not need the shelter of the cool of the day. The God who hovers didn't need to walk. But this God has again condescended and come into a human space where he walks in the cool of the day. They go back to chess and the hand of Shane hovered over the chessboard. And then in the next chapter one day when Shane was moving only diagonal on black spaces because maybe one day he'll be a bishop <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> was moving only on black spaces diagonally And avoiding checkmate, you go, how is it that the guy whose hand was hovering over the checkboard now only moves on black spaces diagonally and he's avoiding checkmate? Because I've inserted myself into the game and I'm now very intimately involved with all the pieces. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Bible who, as this verse goes on, will then say, Where are you, of the humans? Do you really think he didn't know? This is the God we describe as all-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowing, except where his kids are. It happens. You wait, Lindsay. sometimes they just run away and you're like, where are the kids? God says, where are you? God's brought himself in. The God who hovers, the God who creates, the God who is all, has moved himself into this space like me joining the chessboard into this amazingly intimate and involved and with situation. Of course, this would fall apart a little later in this chapter as the people are expelled from the garden, but the beauty of the Lord's Prayer, this expression of redeemed humanity, is that Jesus, when asked, how should we pray, says, you should say this, verse 2, Father, hallowed be your name. That is as big a blow away as Genesis. Because when you say, hallowed be your name, you are saying, God, you should be addressed with a name that hovers over the deep. With a name that hovers over the chessboard. You should not be spoken of in terms that are, uh, I don't know, bishop, pawn, rook, castle, king, that sort of stuff. You're bigger than the game. Hallowed be your name. Your name enormous. Your name transcendent. Your name big. Special. I feel I should be speaking Hebrew when I address you with an Elohim or an El Shaddai or something like that. And you can. But here, just like the one who hovers walking in the cool of the day, we are told simultaneously, Holy is your name. Call him Father. Now, Father is a particular name. Thirteen years and four days ago, that was not one of my names. I was son, I was husband, I was Shane, I was Dirksy, I was Hey you, but I was not father. Thirteen years and three days ago, by virtue of a new relationship with my firstborn child, the name father was ascribed to me. Okay, hold on to your brain right now because if you love this like I love it, this this is big. Holy is your name, or hallowed be your name, and at the same time, we will address you as Father. We will address you in terms of the relationship you have to us. A little extra credit point for you if you're reading carefully. Matthew, when he records this uh, same account, says, "Say our Father." Luke drops the "our." He's not saying, address him as the father of Israel. He's really intimate at this point. He's saying, the one whose name is to be holy, you, you, address him as father. His name will be derived by the relationship he shares with you. That is a huge deal. That is an expression of a redeemed relationship. That is a massive God jumps on to the chessboard moment. When we speak of prayer, there are conversations that we individually and culturally can have about what it looks like, whether you stand, whether you kneel, whether you fold your hands, whether you're singing while you're praying, whether you're not singing. It's not the external posture I want to focus on, but the internal posture we take in prayer. And the internal posture of prayer that I learn here is one of a deeply intimate walk with God. Where I come up close to the one who made mountains shake and tremble. And where I get to draw into such majesty. And I may not even speak words, but I get to be in his presence. For this is the expression of redeemed humanity. Okay, here's the next thing I learned. When I'm praying, this is where I'm calling for all things to come into proper alignment. You see, when God created all things, he had a plan. God saw all that he made and it was very good. See, God thought, I want to have this. He spoke it. It came into being. He checked it out, evaluated it, and he said, yes, that's according to my plan. And because it's according to God's plan, it's declared good. And after he had made humanity the crown and glory of his creation, he said, man, that's very good. And his work was done. It was all according to plan. All things were in alignment. And that's how it should be. Of course, there was the fall. What happens in the fall is when things are all in alignment, they're as God planned. See, in the garden where Adam and Eve dwelt is the first expression of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, and if you're taking notes, this is a good one to get down because it comes up so often in the Scriptures, particularly the Gospels, is God and God's people under God's rule in God's place. It's all lined up nice and neat. God's reigning over his people. They're under his provision in the place he has provided. And that looked like God, Adam and Eve in the garden. But it all got messed up. It came out of alignment. The expression of redeemed humanity is to pray All things back into alignment and so we ask in Luke chapter 11 verse 2, your kingdom come. We ask, bring it back Lord, bring it all back into alignment with you. As Matthew tells this same story and as we pray tonight we go on to say your will be done. Let it all be lined up with you. I learnt some years ago reading a book by Kent Hughes a wonderful way to think about how prayer pulls things into alignment. Can I take a moment to share it with you? Great, thanks. I thought you'd say that. Let's do it. Um, Hey, Isaac, can you help me with this? Come on up. Actually, bring your whole row with you. Welcome these guys as they come up. Now, Now, Isaac, bring your mighty masculine form... To this platform, and here's what we're going to do. I want you to imagine Isaac as a mighty oak tree. Look at that mighty oak tree, beautiful. (laughs) Now, all of you Isaacians, I want you to crouch around the feet of our mighty oak tree. Off you go. In tight, in tight, in tight. What you are seeing right now is a beautiful island with a mighty oak tree. Everyone say that word with me, mighty. You are mighty. Oh, it's getting blasphemous. Calm down, Shane. So here's our mighty oak tree on an island, branches out. Now I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine someone like me In a rowboat. The part of the rowboat will be played by the skateboard. Now, as I'm in my rowboat, I know you can hear me because I'm loud, what do you think would happen if sitting in my rowboat, coming close to the island, I went, ooh, there's an island. I like that island. I think I'd like to be a part of that island. And in my rowboat, I got out my rope, Hopefully, I don't fall in the water because I'm definitely not a skater boy. (laughs) Thank you very much. Try the bill. If I took my rope and I went whoosh, be a helpful tree, and I lassoed the tree, now as I pull my rope, (coughs) trees don't pull, as I pull my rope, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that I'm going to pull this island and tree toward me or is my boat going to be pulled towards the tree? Okay. Why is it so, for those of an earlier generation? Let's test this. Oh, would you look at that? (laughs) Just like liquid goes into this chalk. Wait, all the ads were last week. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. Would you thank our team here? The funny thing is sometimes as we approach prayer and I start lassoing the thought of my heart to God's heart and start sharing my will with God's will, is it fair to say that sometimes it's our desire or sometimes even our expectation that as I tug on the rope between God and I, that I might drag him into what I want? Even when the things I want seem like very good things. But I think in prayer, if I pull... I'll put God closer to me. The truth is, brothers and sisters, we sit in the boats, God commands the island. The truth is, brothers and sisters, those of us who are boat dwellers, we don't know everything, we're not always good, we don't see everything, and we have much to learn. The one who is the island is all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful. I would never want his heart to change. Even if I'm in pain, he's right, and I'm not. I just need to understand. I want him, when the rope tension comes up, to pull me closer. Is this not the famous prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, not my will, but yours? A wonderful expression when he said, I do not want to die, Dad. But in this moment of tension prayer, pull my heart into alignment with yours, for yours is always good. Jesus is famous for that, but probably powerful for me is a man called Habakkuk. I happened to be reading a little while ago Habakkuk 2.1, where Habakkuk says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Let me give you the the Shane version of that. Habakkuk says, in his torment, look, I'm not going to drop my responsibilities. I'm going to stay on the job, stay doing what I'm meant to do, because I've made a formal complaint to God. I've tugged on the rope. And now I want to see how he responds, so I'll know how I will respond. I want to know what God says about my complaint and my desire I want to feel him at the other end of the rope so I might be affected and know how to change. I want to tell you, a little while ago, some time ago, I found myself in a situation where I thoroughly did not enjoy the ministry that I was responsible for. In fact, I did not desire any of my days. So much did I find the ministry tough, I, I began to despise my own life. It was a horrible, horrible time. Somehow, by God's grace, I found myself in Habakkuk one. You know, you always go to Habakkuk when you're looking for a little comfort, right? And I read this passage and I thought, hmm, I don't know that I've properly made my complaints before God, having not made my proper complaints I haven't heard how he'll respond and so I'm not sure how I'm meant to reply to that so you know what I did I took a little tension in the rope and I let God have it both barrels it was a horrible time and I pulled on that rope and I said God my heart is here and your heart is there and I ripped on the rope and I pulled hard and I took up the tension You know what happens when you take up the tension and you're in a rowboat and God's an island? His heart stayed true and good and where it should be. My circumstances, I'd love to say, everything changed. They didn't. In fact, in the short term, they got worse. But you know what moved? By the grace of God, he pulled my heart into a different space. Now, there are other things that God gave me that helped me come to a better place in life. That's for another day. But I want you to understand that by taking up the tension in the rope, God was able to move my heart into a space where I could have the joy of the Lord, even in a circumstance that I didn't particularly love. When we pray, we take up the tension in the rope. Here's the thing to understand. Without some tension, the boat doesn't move. Without some honesty in our prayer, Without some real, I understand what your kingdom is. I understand where I'm at. And I'm pulling on the rope now. And I'm being honest with you, Lord. Hearts don't tend to move. Pray honest prayers is my point. Pray honest po- and prayers. This doesn't mean you always have to go to God cranky and angry. Go to God cranky and angry. you Go to God when you're happy and filled with joy and take up the tension. The Man, you're so good, God. And let him pull your heart into alignment. to so see, He really is good. And feel that joy. Okay, I better crack on. Number three, we learn in this prayer what I'm going to call the Declaration of Dependence. I know more famous is the American Declaration of Independence, but I declare this to be the Declaration of Dependence. You see, God, when he created us, unlike all the false gods of world religion and the false gods known at the time of Genesis, who created humanity that humanity might serve them and humanity might bring them food, God said, hey humanity, I've brought you the food. See, I give you every tree for your food. I'm giving to you. I'm sustaining you. Stay with me. I'll look after you. The trouble is humanity decided we wanted something better and we love it to this day. We wanted independence. When Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the very first and original declaration of independence. Can I say a word that may uh, not be to your liking, but it's something we need to hear. Independence, prized as it is today, even in great company, is the sad, proud, prized idol of our time. I've been to so many weddings... 21st, 18th, moments of rites of passage where wonderful people have stood up and said, I thank my parents because they raised me to be independent. And I think if that is actually the case, then your parents have a gracious repentance to perform before God. For independence is not the design for humanity. Dependence upon God is a design for humanity and interdependence with one another is God's design. humanity and so when we declare i'm a standalone self-made person we're bought into the idol instead we pray give us each day our daily bread we don't pray god give me you know what god i've got a deal for you god here's the deal don't worry about giving me daily bread give me a bread shop or better make me a baker because if you make me a baker then I can stop harassing you. I'll be independent, you'll be independent, we all will get on with our lives. God says, no, 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 the righteous will live by faith, the righteous will live by dependence. When we pray, we announce our declaration of dependence. I suspect it's one of the reasons I wrestle with it. And finally, I learned from this prayer that prayer is new life faith. You see, in the fall, this terrible moment in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fell because they ate independently from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they came before God and they knew that they were naked, and so they they, they covered themselves with fig leaves. It didn't work, so God looked after them. But in every space of this terrible account, they were trying to be independent. They were trying to cover themselves. But this prayer says, we come to God and we say, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. We say in our new life, Please cover us, because we can't cover ourselves. That's the expression of redeemed humanity. We say, God, we know that because of sin, the relationship between God and human has been ruined. We've read the story of Cain and Abel and everyone who came after them. We've seen our lives and we know that the relationship between humans and humans have been ruined. So New Life Faith says, dependently, Lord God, would you cover us? Would you bring us back to yourself? And having brought us back to ourselves, teach us from that lesson to do likewise in our pattern of behaviour with one another. And then here's the wonderful last step. We don't say, and now that you've cleaned us up, let us go. We say, no, 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 Lord. And do not depart. Stay in front of us as leader. And lead us not into temptation. We depend upon you. We don't trust ourselves. This is new life faith. Let me say these final things. Prayer is a lot of stuff. And I found this talk kind of hard to put together. And this series is a delight because there's going to be so much coming. Prayer is a lot of stuff. I wish I could give you the definitive Shane Dirk's kind of theology of prayer. But every time I try to do it, a little bit of prayer and how it works pops out in another part and it gets bigger. And people tell me about prayers they've prayed and things that have happened. And I read more scripture and I go, wow, there's so much. And so I'm glad that Anne and Langdon and Miles will tidy that up in the weeks to come and I'm as excited as you are to learn those bits. But what I want to say tonight is that prayer is, among all those other things, I'm certain prayer is an expression of redeemed humanity. And you might say, well, there's our pastor. He's up on the platform, probably loves to pray. Let me tell you something about prayer and chain. And this is not to run myself down. I'm happy to acknowledge under God he has made me able to do some things well. Prayer is not one of my natural things. Prayer is not my go-to. I'm by nature, and by character, independent. I'm by character, resistant to repentance. I don't like my heart being brought into alignment with anyone's. I think everyone should get on board with me. And I'm not always craving the intimacy of a walk with the divine Lord. I'm the kind of guy who when things get tough, I try and figure them out. I come up with option A, B, C, D, and all the rest. Try them all, and then when nothing's working, either I think or someone says, hey, have you prayed about that? And I go, I'll <laughs> pray And I start to pray. This is not a natural thing for me. Because I come from a fallen start and God's doing a a work in me. You know why God's doing a work in me? Well, because he loves me, but because I'm this thing called a disciple. And as a disciple, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is conforming me to the likeness of Christ. That's what he does with disciples. That's the journey he's taking us on, conforming us to the likeness of Christ. And so though prayer might not be my natural go-to, it's a thing God's bringing me to. Here's the good news for you. If you too have put your faith in Jesus, then you also are a disciple and the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you as he conforms you to the likeness of Christ. Here's even better news. Well, not not better news, here's more news. Our church has a mission, as we heard earlier, and our mission is to build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. Committed to seeing that the Holy Spirit has His way with all of us, conforming us to the likeness of Christ, redeemed humanity. And as redeemed humanity, doesn't it just make the most sense in the world that one of our immediate and present goals now would be that everyone is praying? Let me show you very briefly with the final slide what this looks like. It can look like so much more, but here is our initial commitment with everyone praying. The ministry team on staff have committed that all ministers and ministries will have prayer support. Don't be surprised if you get a tap on the shoulder at some time that someone says, hey, will you start to pray for me or will you start to pray for the ministry we're a part of? It's our declaration of dependence. We want everything we do to be undergirded by the God of glory. Very soon there'll be an invitation that before every single service on a Sunday, 10%, we want to see 10 we want to see more, but we'll start with 10 of us would gather for the very purpose of, we know this is a special time, so we're going to pray for the gathering before we gather. But here's something that touches each and every one of us and I believe can significantly develop. I don't think change, but develop, because change isn't required. Growth as disciples is. For us all to ask ourselves the question, have I prayed with someone this week? Have I expressed my redeemed humanity and have a shared it with another. You see, the disciples of Jesus are patterned on him. The disciples of Jesus are redeemed humanity, and the disciples of Jesus are a people who pray. And so let me lead us in doing that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his coming, his dying, his rising, and the sending out of his Holy Spirit, He has united us with Himself and redeemed us as people. That he has given us free access to your throne of glory that we might come for timely help. And so, Father God, we praise your holy name that we can call you Father and that we can pray and come on these intimate walks with you. That we can ask you to call our hearts into alignment with yours. That we can declare our dependence and that we can express the faith of new life. Father God, we pray that you would grow us in this prayerful posture that we might be alive, 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 alive as the redeemed people of our Lord Jesus in whose name we continue to pray. Amen.